The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. That's www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. Well, if you're in the car, stay tuned, relax. We've got a great show planned for you tonight. We're going to start with a very special phone call to set up our election preview show with Peter Ehrlich. We're going to cover all of the ground in the local elections that are coming up on Tuesday, November 3rd of this year, including the City of Miami Beach mayoral campaign, for which we did have Mayor Philip Levine, the incumbent, and David Weeder, his challenger on the program in the last two weeks. You should check that out at onlyinmiami.co if you're interested. There's also a very contentious race going on in Miami's District 2 for a city commissioner spot, being vacated by outgoing Commissioner Mark Sarnoff, and there are numerous candidates. We're going to catch up on all of that and more with Peter Ehrlich in just a few minutes. Then we've got a very special broadcast from Social Media Week Miami, which happened this past September at the Miami Ad School in Wynwood. We are going to play clips, two very long, almost the entire thing clips from the panel that I was a part of on Social Media Week, which is Social Community Management with Michelle Dow and Daniela Veras, uh, two very, very talented social community managers. And that is going to be at 7.20 until the end of the 8 o'clock hour and at 8.30 until the end of the program. Then at 8 o'clock, we have Maggie Fernandez coming in to speak about sustainability in Miami. She is part of Emerge Miami, and she's going to talk about the climate march. She's going to talk about a lot of issues that you've heard about in local news related to climate change in South Florida. But this is the part of the show where I get a couple of minutes to speak directly to you, the audience, about issues of importance in Miami or sometimes beyond. But this time we are talking about the No Walmart and Midtown.com campaign, which has been going on for four years now. And tomorrow is your chance to get out there and make a difference. There is a public hearing tomorrow, Tuesday, October 13th at 1 p.m. at the 34th Street parking garage on the second floor, Suite 132. That is in front of the Midtown Community District, also known as the Midtown CDD. So tomorrow at 1 p.m., in front at the 34th Street Midtown Miami parking garage, second floor, suite 132, at 
Uh, come on out at 1 p.m. There's a public meeting, and I'll tell you why the NoWalmartMidtown.com group is going to this public meeting. Because Midtown residents finally have a shot at turning back Walmart's plan to build an illegally permitted supercenter in Midtown Miami. Walmart received multiple illegal variances in their permit application with the city of Miami. Some are being fought in court, but others are being contested only at this CDD meeting tomorrow, October 13th at 1 p.m. in the 34th Street parking garage. Walmart's plan for Northeast 31st Street calls to remove more than 20 parallel parking spaces and 30 trees to create a three-lane road, which would handle the grossly increased audio and big rig traffic their plan would allow. And it would allow for five loading berths and 600 parking spaces, but it's way too big for the district. The Board of Supervisors is being pressured to accommodate Walmart, and that board has no obligation to do that. They have an obligation to the people who lent the money to the the great city of Miami and the special district to build Midtown and design it and to maintain it as well. So if you care... Go out there tomorrow, Tuesday, October 13th, 1 p.m., the Midtown Miami parking garage on 34th Street. It's the second floor, Suite 132. You're looking for the Midtown Miami Community Development District offices. And let them know in the public comment section, very, very close to the top of the meeting, that you care that the CDD must protect the integrity of the Midtown plan and also that you will be ready to contest the November election for the Midtown CDD Board of Supervisors, where three new supervisors will be elected. And that's what we have for that. But I wanted to do a very special announcement because we are going to be giving away five tickets to Sugar Pie on next week's program. It's a burger beast feast called Sugar Pie. It's going to be later on this year, and we're going to give five tickets away to one lucky winner next week when the Burger Beast visits the show. Roll the preview. I'm here in the Burger Beast Museum with Seth Gonzalez, none other than the Burger Beast. Seth, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited that you can make it to the program and do a full interview on Only in Miami next week, but give us a quick tour of the Burger Beast Museum. And tell our audience a little bit about what we see on the walls in here, because I'm going to post this to YouTube. So everybody listening out there on the radio tonight can watch this before you're, you're on the show next week. And so that they know that they'll never be invited here. <laughs> right? Well, maybe. <laughs> have to work if hard they, to be invited if here. If they behave, they, maybe if they behave, I'll invite me. Some really quick, cool stuff. These are pictures of White Castle, uh, late 50s, early 60s, Miami, 27 Flagler. This used to be... Burger King number two. It's now La Palma. Okay. Check out the prices of the Whopper up there. Yeah, that's not bad. You can get a couple of Whoppers for that. <laughs> and you can get a fish steak sandwich for the same price. <laughs> fish steak? Okay. Quite possibly the, the creepiest creatures you ever see from Jack in the Box down there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they look a little bit too real clown for me. <laughs> uh, so that's the first room. This is a lot of local stuff in here. This is the restroom. Whichever. Gotcha. <laughs> this is more of our conference area. It does have some of the burger memorabilia stuff. It's got old Fuddruckers. These are all our events. Some of the newspaper clippings of the stuff we've done. Our Guinness World Record Certificate. Proclamation. Yes, Proclamation. City of Miami Springs. Burger Beast Day. Arvey Las Vitas Table. A whole slew of memorabilia from Pringles, glasses, Coca-Cola. Materva. Old napkin holders, Bennigan's, KFC, 
Swenson's, Dr. Pepper. Yep. Then my actual office, which is uh, pretty much full with <laughs> all the craziness. Full craziness. <laughs> oh, you got the In-N-Out Burger potato sack. I love it. Uh, an old A&W air-conditioned sign before there was actually air conditioning in every uh, restaurant. Old McDonald's Burger King, big boy stuff. Uh, Burger Chef, which is actually what I started my collection with. Well, the Burger Time uh, pinball machine topper? Is that what that is? Uh, arcade machine. Yeah, arcade machine. Gotcha. Bunch of old stuff. Denny's, when it used to be Danny's down there, the old lady. Oh, yeah? Hold on. Where is that? Oh, there the it is. Plate. Danny's. <laughs> wow. I love the, the ashtray collection because you just wouldn't see those in any restaurants today. Yeah, A&G, <laughs> which is really cool. Great local restaurant that went out of business last year. Here, let's... Uh, Let's get some of these too. I mean, these are like all sorts There's of glasses. Royal Castle stuff right there. Oh, the Royal Castle. They're still open on 79th Street right. and 27th Avenue Northwest. Yeah, that's right. You have the go sideways here. The A and E Burger Joint. Very cool. And, uh, Officer Big Mac watching over everything in here. <laughs> well, of course you have to have like you know, a cop on the beat in the Burger Beast Museum, right? And I hope you enjoyed that sneak peek of next week's episode of the Only in Miami show. We will be giving away five tickets. That's five tickets to one lucky caller for Sugar Pie, the next upcoming Burger Beast feast. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Bump the tweeters and the speakers, turn the baseline up. If you're dosing, what's your potion? It's swelling up your emotions. Roller coasting, dance for motion. She's ego tripping, you're boasting. Focus, focus, focus. Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back with Peter Ehrlich to discuss this next month's upcoming local elections in both the city of Miami, Miami Beach, and uh, anywhere else that we can think of. Peter, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Grant, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So, Peter, let's outline for people what's at stake on November 3rd, the first Tuesday of November, when they'll be going to the polls, hopefully, to vote in local elections. Um, There's some very important elections taking place in the city of Miami Beach and also in the city of Miami. So uh, what seats are up for grabs in both cities? Let's start with Miami Beach. We did just do two shows, uh, one with the mayoral challenger and one with the incumbent mayor, uh, Philip Levine, and and David Weider, who's challenging him. But what other seats are available in Miami Beach? Um, Yes, you did a great job interviewing both the incumbent, Philip Levine, and the challenger, David Weider. Thank you. And that'll be a very interesting race. Levine is obviously the incumbent very well financed, and David is a um, recently entered the race. But he's a well-respected, longtime resident of Miami Beach. 
So the, the two of them are having good debates and and discussing important issues that are facing the residents of Miami Beach. And, and let me just add, if anybody out there is listening and they're interested, both of those interviews are posted to onlyinmiami.co. And I think that they really do what we set out to do, which was to provide some contrast and let people know what they're getting in a mayor. But also I want to make very, very clear that the city of Miami Beach is very fortunate to have two extremely passionate non-career politicians uh, running for the highest office in the city. So, Yes, that's that's certainly true. They're both successful. They're, they both love the city of Miami Beach, and they have good ideas. And, um, you know, Miami Beach is, is lucky to have um, two, two, two men's qualifications with their qualifications in the race. Absolutely. So what other offices are up for grabs in the city of Miami um, Beach? There's a couple other interesting contests for commissioner, and there's a couple fascinating items for up for voter referendum. Um, the first item are two commissioners, two candidates running against each other. Neither of them have been elected before. That's Mark Samuelin. He's running against a candidate named John Elizabeth Alamon. And in this case, John is a, is a female, even though she's named John, J-O-H-N. And Mark Samuelin is a very successful uh, consultant and real estate investor with property primarily out of state, who's running against John Alamon, who's... Um, uh, a former PTA member in the North Beach area. And that, that election is really heated up. They're both campaigning hard, both intelligent. I think Mark Samuelin is, is, is campaigning full-time. He's uh, semi-retired, and he's really putting his energy and uh, intelligence into campaigning maybe you know 12 hours a day. So the two of them will be debating tomorrow morning at the Tuesday Morning Breakfast Club on uh, and for our... Avenue at um, 8.30 in the morning. Oh, you guys moved the Breakfast Club? Yes, the uh, Breakfast Club was moved um, from from uh, Lincoln Road to Manello's on the corner of 7th Street and Washington Avenue. All righty. So for our audience out there who are interested in getting involved in the civic debate on Miami Beach, there is a very, very long-standing group. It's called the Tuesday Morning Breakfast Club. And as Peter just mentioned, they recent, recently relocated from Lincoln Road to 7th and Washington to Manello's? Yep. Okay, so 7th and Washington at Manello's. And what time does the breakfast club start? It always starts at 8.30, and there's a debate or presentations, and they start shortly after 8.30. People, often they'll go at 8 o'clock and get the, the discounted breakfast, and sometimes there's, there's 70 or 90 people in the room. It's, it's really amazing um, organization. They've been go, going strong for 20 years. So let's talk about the other races in Miami Beach. Who else is running for there's what seats? another very interesting race between uh, two men that haven't run before, or haven't been elected before, Ricky Ariola versus a gentleman named Mark Wertheim. Mark Wertheim's wife is a current commissioner of the city of Miami Beach. She's termed out. She's not running again. And Mark, who has a long history in Miami Beach, he's running to be a commissioner against Ricky, o Ricky Ariola, who's from a very well-known family in, in Miami, in Miami-Dade County. 
and they're the two of them are battling it out, you know, uh, very aggressively. And I think I believe they'll both be at the Tuesday Morning Breakfast Club tomorrow morning, also. Oh, okay. So, so you're going to have really uh, some high-profile attendees tomorrow morning at the Tuesday Morning Breakfast Club, huh? Yes, and now there's a couple other interesting contests that I'm not following as closely, but there's two referendum questions for the Miami Beach residents that are incredibly important to them. One is their voters are being asked if they will agree to upzone a very prominent parcel in the Ocean Terrace area of Miami Beach. Some and, developers and speculators have acquired some sites and land up there. And, and I will say that that's something that we discussed extensively with both the incumbent mayor of Miami Beach and his challenger. And you can find out a lot about that at onlyinmiami.co. And what's the other referendum question, Miami Beach? Uh, the other question is, is very subtle, and not many people are familiar with it. Essentially, voters are being asked if they will agree to let a Miami Beach redevelopment agency, a Miami Beach RDA, lease incredibly valuable property um, that is currently owned by the redevelopment agency. And what the activists and longtime observers of Miami Beach politics are postulating, and, uh, and many bloggers and journalists, is that there's an effort to eliminate or put a massive multi-hundred million dollar project on the site of some senior housing on 3rd Street and Alton Road. It's called Rebecca Towers. There's two towers dedicated to senior housing on Alton Road and 3rd Street. And now that the property, that waterfront property is priceless. And there's some very, very sharp businessmen, developers, speculators. They have their eye on that site, and they apparently they're maneuvering to have the site handed over to them. So that's actually a referendum question? Yes, it's a referendum question. The voters, since it's on the waterfront, the voters are asked, you know, if they'll make this change to city car- charter. It's very subtle. If somebody doesn't study the issue extremely well, they're not going to have any idea what the what the uh, speculators would like to accomplish. Interesting. So it's it's really it's a vote on the city charter, but that actually would affect um, what would go on on that one particular piece of property. It's it's not even clear. They're not even specifying the specific property that might be at play. And they are not specifying what might happen for a, a property currently controlled by the redevelopment agency. It's very, very vague. Oh wow! Uh, what's the referendum called? Um, I, I don't. I don't have the name, but it's. It's. You know, there are only seventy-five words, and it's going to refer to the ability of the redevelopment agency to, to lease property under the control of the redevelopment agency. All righty. We're going to move forward. Uh, let's move forward to the city of Miami, and we'll come back to the, the charter amendment issue. Um, so what's going on in the city of Miami? Let's start with District 2. I think anybody who's involved in local politics in Miami knows that there's nine candidates for District 2. Yes, nine people have filed to run. Nine people have filed to run. But who are the, the most serious three competitors in the race? 
there's, there's really only three candidates to speak of uh, that that will have a chance of being elected. That would be Ken Russell, Teresa Sarnoff, and Grace Solaris. And District 2 is absolutely crucial to the city of Miami. This is the, definitely the most important, most prominent seat in the city because 70% of all the revenues in the city of Miami are generated in District 2. Wow. So who has the inside track and what is the threshold to get a, ru- a runoff election in the city of Miami? Well, there'll be a runoff election if one candidate doesn't get 50% of the vote plus plus one vote, I believe. So it's, it's highly likely that there'll be a runoff in this election, and it'll be um, between two of those three candidates, Ken Russell, Teresa Sarnoff, and Grace Solaris. And it, interesting about the race is that District 2 is so important to the city of Miami and, in fact, to all of South Florida, since it encompasses all of the waterfront, all the way from the Grove up to 61st Street, and including downtown, um, majority of the parkland, all the waterfront parkland in the city of Miami. What's interesting is that none of the candidates have been elected to office before. Um, None other than Grace Solaris, Ken Russell and Teresa Sarnoff have not attended city commission meetings or planning, zoning, and appeals board meetings or budget committee meetings or historic preservation board meetings. Grace Solaris has a 20-year history of attending meetings and speaking up for residents. And the other two candidates um, are, are new, uh, new to politics. So what are the other races in the city of Miami? Are there any other competitive races right now? There's, no, there's another race for the seat that's currently held by uh, Francis Suarez, uh, and, since, and nobody filed to run against him. So he Francis has already been reelected, essentially. Yes, that's right. Well, that should be a tough vote. And if there's <laughs> another race, I'm unaware of it. It hasn't, hasn't, hasn't hit my radar. Well, uh, I see that Commissioner Gort, Commissioner Willie Gort, is uh, running against Miguel Angel Gabela. All right. For D- District One, uh, is is there any action in that race? Uh, I'd say C- Commissioner Gort would is the heavy favorite. As a long time incumbent and well known. Um, I'm glad that there's somebody running against him because it's always good to have a dialogue and for citizens to debate the issues. But I haven't followed that race very closely. Are you very familiar with it? Uh, I have not heard a peep. Um, okay. I hate to say it, but I just have not heard a peep out of uh, Commissioner Gort's challenger, um, which is surprising. Back to the Miami Beach race, can you you recall the answer to both the, the, the candidates for mayor when you asked them about Ocean Terrace? I believe David Weider is extremely opposed to the upzoning. That is um, correct, and and, and the incumbent mayor is in favor of the upzoning. Um, although he's in favor, favor of it's you know for it's he's in favor of letting the voters decide. That's his official position, but um, you know nobody says they're in favor of letting voters decide when they don't want to see something decided. Otherwise, if he was not in favor, I'm sure there would not be some sort of referendum, or at least didn't you know wasn't yeah, amenable. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know in politics, uh, people often try to hide their true position, but their actions really speak louder than their words. And and to wrap up, 
We did speak about a charter amendment in the city of Miami Beach, and I'd like to read it very briefly, skipping over the technicality of it. But here it is. I found the sample ballot. Charter section 1.03b4 requires a sale, exchange, conveyance, or lease of more than 10 years or longer of city-owned property, uh, not requiring voter approval or otherwise addressed in the city charter, to be approved by planning boards 4-7 to vote and city commission 6-7 to vote. Should that section be amended to require the planning board's 4-7 to vote and the Miami Beach Redevelopment Agency's 7-8 to vote to approve sale, exchange, conveyance, or lease of 10 years or longer of agency property? So what this, this amendment vote is seeking to do is to take the sale of city property out of elected officials' hands and put it into appointed officials' hands. Yep. And that's a pretty interesting thing. I don't know if voters really want to take power away from their elected officials and give it to unelected appointed officials when it comes to selling their city's private or city's public property um, to private That's individuals. Right. And in, in one case, one of those boards, one of those boards is apparently a hundred percent mayoral appointees. Appointed versus elected. It's a big difference. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Tell our audience where they can find out more about you online and on Twitter. um, Thank you very much, Grant. And anybody can follow one of my favorite causes, Scenic Miami, at scenicmiami.org. That's scenicmiami.org. Right. That is scenicmiami.org, right? Scenicmiami.org. And on Twitter? Um, Peter Ehrlich, one, on Twitter. All right. That's P-E-T-E-R-E-H-R-L-I-C-H, one, on Twitter. Peter, again, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you, Grant. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me. Because I live on my dreams. I get my fantasies wings. One day I'm going to be king. I'm going to make that woman so proud of the sun. I know you heard about change. It's going to come. One question. Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air. Like a champion. Because I'm the man to win. Never fold my cards Focus my mind and don't take my eyes Off the prize Cause life is a pick of an eye You're here then you're gone Off to the other side My time is a gift and I use it I spend every day making beautiful music But you don't have to hold the tune To serenade a room Just to highlight noon Even in the gloom Darkest clouds never block the sun Just rise above and you're already one No obstacle can't be overcome If you think that you can Then it's already done Oh, welcome back. 
This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live for a moment. We are going to play a wonderful video. Uh, actually, it's a video that you can see on our YouTube channel and the audio we're going to play here, of course. It is Social Media Week. If you want to find out more about it, go to at SMWMiami on Twitter. You can check out the hashtag SMWMiami, or you can go to socialmediaweek.org slash Miami and find out more about Social Media Week. It's every single year in Miami. There are not a lot of these things. Social Media Week is an organization run out of New York, and they run an international series of social media conferences uh, we're one of the, I think, three or four cities in, in the United States. They run it in London. They run it in Sydney, Australia, and Paris, all over the world. And here's a panel that I was fortunate enough to be called to sit on, and it's all about social community management. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Michelle Dow, and um, I have a sort of called Social Swag, which stands for Serving What Advocates Good. And the premise behind it is basically saying that um, you can do really awesome things for great companies and also promote social good. And swag is kind of involved because it has to be really strong creative, no matter what the campaign is, in my personal opinion. Um, and so it's like a cause marketing. Well, thank you, Michelle, for being with us today. Daniela. Hi. Um, my name is Daniela Velas. I pretty much work with different companies to build digital strategies, and I work with our company, the Prison Music Group, Jupiter um, Circle, and what I do is I help maximize what you're already doing using the internet and social So um, aside from that, I also have a food blog called Eating a Sheetonist, and um, I, yeah, I eat a lot, and um, that's a lot of fun. And I also am an influencer, so they hire me to do, um, run different campaigns and be a part of campaigns, promote different um, causes, brands, projects, that's uh, my name is Grant Stern, and you can find me at Grant Stern on Twitter. That's just like my professional profile. It's my personal thing. So I do a lot of personal food blogging and blogging about Miami microblogging through there. And I run multiple communities. I run the radio program called The Only Miami Show, I blog for Huffington. I'm the executive director of a great website called photographyisnotacrime.com, which actually uses community-sourced information and sometimes articles and videos and whatnot. And we actually crowdsource, I'd say, 80% of the articles on this national news journal. And I do a few other things, too. But I have to be here with you guys today. Thank you, Grant. And I am Rosetta Pazzini. I am the general manager of Ars Miami. We are a full-service advertising agency based here in Miami. And we do pretty much everything from market research to uh, production. Um, and we do focus a lot in social media. Uh, currently, we manage. Uh, I would say around 30 social media profiles for different clients, and there's a lot to be said about community management today. So let me ask you a few questions so we can start a conversation. Why are you here today? Why are you looking to gain from this panel? Who's the brave one? No, I see some hands. Yeah, not everyone at the same time, please. Well, before you get started, let's just do a quick picture, a quick video for Snapchat. Everybody wave. Um, so I recently 
2014, and this is my very first job ever. So um, I'm a communications coordinator for Alma, um, which is a Hispanic ad firm here in Miami. And so one of my jobs is our social. And so you don't really learn about social in school. And so I guess just kind of bringing forward that education and really learning what could optimize everything for us. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm Amy Lindbergh. I'm a social media manager for Ad Energy and Built Up. I find it quite difficult to actually create a community that's engaged and actually interact and less and not so much we're just pushing ads towards them.
the main the main thing here will be how to like gather do's and don'ts in that art of in that fine balance of knowledge and uh, and understanding like connecting with the community. So well, uh, you know, I, I'd like to talk about your adverse, let's call it adverse uh, management. In other words, when somebody's trolling you, when somebody's angry at you, because that's the most difficult situation. Um, that she called it reputation management, but it's also a discussion with somebody who just disagrees with you. And people in general have a tough time having a discussion with someone who disagrees with them, right? Is that it? Has anybody here had a, an argument? Just raise your hands. Have you had an argument with somebody over politics or no. some issue you disagree about lately? Yeah? On social media? Well, you yeah. guys are very agreeable crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what did you do? Did you unfriend them? Yes? No? Did you block them? Did you say a bunch of mean things to them? <laughs> no? I, sometimes people try that, right? <laughs> yeah, we go through that. Um, but in running photographyisnotacrime.com, um, one of my tasks, among many tasks, is running social media for a news organization that's reporting on some very, sometimes graphic, violent uh, topics, um, topics that are at the forefront of the zeitgeist, um, police brutality, um, citizen journalism, the interaction between people and their government. This is very, very touchy subjects all around here. And when you have a troll, you have to confront them head on, but not be mean, sarcastic. Anything that you say, it's going to be interpreted very literally. Very literally. So if you want to have a conversation with this person who you think hates you, if you keep everything to the facts, you don't get angry, you don't get personal, you never get personal. That is the one method that you can use to escalate the situation. And something that we report on is how de-escalating situation can happen. And one example I can give you is that we had a user on photographyisnotacrime.com who was on our Facebook page, and he was on our page, commenting on the page. And every single time we would publish anything, he would comment about what happened in Ferguson, Missouri. We were talking in February, okay? And we're a First Amendment rights website. We do not want to block anybody. Okay? But it got to the point where we had to say, look, this guy is out of his mind. He's just commenting the same comment on every single thing. They're like, hey, we started a new Reddit channel. Come and check it out. Comment. Why are you guys lying about Darren Wilson? <laughs> so we blocked him. Right? Well, he starts emailing us. Like he starts, you know, mess. Oh, you guys are afraid of me. See what happens? You say, oh, go away. Oh, you're trying to silence me. We're like, it'll go away eventually. We didn't respond. Because we didn't want to raise the profile of this guy, who all he has to say is one topic, and it happened eight months ago, and he's still not over it. Um, segue off that from more like a brand perspective versus like a specific brand. Um, I deal with reputation management all the time in what I do, and I feel like the first step is almost the biggest step, which is number one, just acknowledging that they're saying something that you're hearing. Like sure. that's one thing that you'll yeah. find with Starbucks or airlines or whatever, they're like, you know what? Thank you for bringing us to our attention. Oh, yeah. We are so glad that, you know, you gave us this feedback. So one of it is being, I mean, that will get rid of probably 80% of the people yeah. who are upset because they just want to be acknowledged. I mean, I have an issue with Starbucks when I got food poisoning. 
And I made a tweet about it. And I was upset. And I immediately had Starbucks respond and say, no email us. We want to give you a free meal. Right? And that's just a little thing. But secondary, I think, for reputation management is if you can't find a solution, at least acknowledge that you're aware of the problem and try to say that you'll pass it. So like some of the things you can't control as a marketing or community manager. You can't control the fact that a power company has people going to people's door to knock on itself and they want to be the customer, to ask to have customers come. But you can say, you know what, like I will reach out to the appropriate channels for you and make sure that your dispute is heard. That's, that's an yeah. amazing point. And actually, I kind of skipped over that step because people in our community were telling this troll, this person who kept posting this, the, the people in our community were saying, hey, get over it, man, you know? Like, we, we didn't have to even do that first step. The people in our community were kind of like policing the community. So then he starts contacting us through our, our web contact, like every few days, and we're like, ah, leave him alone. And finally, I was like, okay, this guy's clearly obsessed. I looked him up. He's in Ulysses, Kansas. You know how many people live in Ulysses, Kansas? Not as many people are as in this room, okay? Um, he was a former police officer, a city council candidate in Ulysses, Kansas. And what we did was we reached out to the guy by phone, using an anonymous dialer, not using a personal cell phone number, anything that could trace him back to our personal location because these people can be obsessive and you don't want somebody showing up at your doorstep. And I had a conversation with him. And he told me, oh, I'm upset about this. I said, listen, I understand that you're upset about this. But it's so off topic when we're trying to just tell people about our Reddit channel and you're talking about this issue that happened in one second. So I'll tell you what, we're going to give you another chance. The guy's name is Dan Witter, by the way, <laughs> if you ever run into him. Uh, so I'm like, OK, Dan, we know who you are. You don't know who I am, but I'm going to give you another chance. Now the guy occasionally sends in a story for us to report on. And he's still commenting, and he still says a bunch of dumb stuff, but at least he doesn't spam every he single post. the crisis, which is, you know, the final, the objective is to manage the crisis. I mean, we, we have a lot of, um, I would say, guidelines, you know, to manage crisis, because you have to be prepared. And each, each brand needs to, I mean, from the agency perspective, each brand has to develop a tone to manage the crisis. Uh, even though the process would be pretty much the same, acknowledging the person and directing the person, you know, to, to an email and handle the situation privately. Um, but name, Roxanne, yeah. um, I want to piggyback on that as well. My background is also in PR, so the way that I look at social media may be different than like from, a, mm -hmm. I mean, having my own personal properties, but I'll, I can have a little more liberty at that point and say whatever I want, personally. But from a brand standpoint, you do want to have a plan in place. You want to go and, and discuss with your PR department, what are the certain responses you can use? What are the certain ways to segue a conversation and diffuse it? The same way what she was talking about with acknowledging the problem, saying, okay, maybe we don't have a solution right now, but this is what I can offer you. Because like she said, at the end of the day, people just want to be heard. So if you are a brand, the very first thing that I would do is like look at some of the common things that people would maybe complain about, certain situations that you may run into, and have a plan for that. You know, one of the, some of the things that I would work on with each brand is saying, okay, um, like one of the brands I work with is Samsung. There was like a battery issue, something that was happening in Brazil, and the batteries were blowing up. You know, we had a huge meeting about it, and we sat and we talked about well, what are the certain responses that you can give people in the media or on social media or wherever it comes from. You have to be able to be prepared to have a direct response for it. Now, from a personal standpoint, maybe maybe you want to go and make phone calls. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to necessarily go that far. 
We waited until the fourth email before we called them. <laughs> no dead here. <laughs> but um, that's what I would do from a brand standpoint. From a personal standpoint, you know, that's a little bit different. And that, I mean, if someone has questions about that specifically, then we can address that separately. Well, the other thing I want to say is that at the end of the day, customers, consumers, whatever, will judge you more on your response than the person's reaction. Yeah, so definitely totally agree. And you know, stay professional, stay kind, stay attentive. And that's where the opportunity is to right. really make a big difference and for the brand to shine. It's how you respond to their reaction. Yeah, it, it's about civility. And to share some great advice or a great tidbit of advice from a very wise man from who I take counsel. He is my attorney, so I gotta you know, sit and share his paid advice with you guys for free. Um, he said a great rule of thumb is just have three rules. So let's just say three rules would be have a plan before you're actually typing whatever it is you're saying. Have a plan or think about it when you're making that post. Um, always be civil and listen, because like Michelle said, if, if you're listening, you're de-escalating the situation. You're, you're hearing their concerns, and just by doing that, you're maybe getting to the point where you can hit step three, which is let them know that you're allowed to agree to disagree. Being able to agree to disagree but doing it civilly is very important. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to take uh, two steps back and uh, visit what building a community is. Because there's, there's definitely something around. I mean, we're, we're, our topic starts as building that community, creating a community, and then sustaining, sustaining that growth throughout the time. That's what's important. And that's when topics like engagement or crisis management or reputation management all those topics are relevant. So, uh, someone here, you, you mentioned something about managing, managing social media within the advertising agency, and you know, that's where I think we, we kind of like should start talking about how to create truly a community and matching the expectations of the client for those who are in the in the agency uh, field with truly what the community can uh, can give. So why don't we talk a little about community building? Okay. Um, sure. Well, community building for me um, starts in the back end. I'm, I'm big into research. I'm big into looking at data. I'm big into finding out everything about my market. And and what let's say it's, um, which I, I do a lot of blogging with food, and I did PR for restaurants, like let's say hospitality. I would look at everything that's happening there, look at trends, look at where the pain points are and the emotional points. And then look at and build my strategy around that. Build a content strategy. Have that go in line with everything else that the brand has going on so that there's some synergy there. So um, some people would maybe give you like some blanket advice about, well, okay, this is what you do. And I think the research goes into that and to inform what your process and your strategy is going to be, even within the same industry. Like one example that I love to give people is um, I, I work with a, a restaurant group, and they had five different restaurants. And within five, the five different restaurants, each one required a different type of content. So um, how many of you have heard of uh, Salomeria in Midtown? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Salomeria. OK. What about Segafredo on, on Lincoln Road? Segafredo, heard of Segafredo. OK, so those are owned by the same restaurant group. Two different strategies and the type of content that go on there. 
And so at Salomeria, people are more about the real gourmet food. And so when I talked about the content, it had to be delicious and yummy. And that food made you want to lick the screen. That's how it had to be, right? Because that's what the people wanted. But that, again, that required me looking and seeing what people were, were resonating with. On the other side, say Alfredo, they didn't care about food. They cared about cocktails, pictures of people having fun, drinking, having a good time. They're, if I posted something about yummy food, it'd be like, okay, cool. But if there were a bunch of girls drinking cocktails, it's like, 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 <laughs> Exactly. So it's more about looking at the industry as a whole and then looking at the brand and what's really resonating with it. What's, is it fun? Is it exciting? And building your content around that. Because each community and each brand is going to be a little bit different and it's going to require some work from you on the back end to figure out what's going to resonate. Yeah, I, I absolutely and what are the metrics that, so, so you speak about content, so, so Salomari or this restaurant, when they approach you, what expectations do you set for the client, what are you measuring? So, so, so what's your internal strategy, which is, you know, I'm going to go for X type of content, how do you measure, you know, X amount of time later whether that content was effective or not? Or okay. How much, how much more do you grow? I'm really glad you asked that, because <laughs> it really depends, um, for me, I build a strategy based on the goals that the company has. So let's say, for instance, it's a brand, it's a brand new company, and what they want to do is create awareness. My strategy would be different then, you know, on, on what I would do and how I would use it and what type of content I would create. If it were the case where they wanted to bring more people in the door, then that would require different types of content and a different type of strategy that goes in line with everything else that they have going on, whether it's specials or promotions and things like that. You know, so depending on what the goal is. That, then I would determine my KPIs. So, uh, I think earlier you asked something similar, and I think it's really good, managing client expectations. Yeah. So, um, number one, absolutely, you have to listen. There's two kinds of listening, right? There's listening, and then there's waiting to speak. So, with a client, you really have to do the first kind of listening. You have to sit down. I generally, when I first get a client, spend an hour of what I call strategy meeting. And during that time, I am listening to what they're saying, what they're not saying, the years of agency experience that I have for my nonverbal, like what I'm reading of their body. I look at their office, I see what's on their table, you know what I mean? Like I am literally just a sponge during that hour. And then I go back and I look, at this point I have logins, so I look at all the insights I can see. And I see, okay, people are biting on this, this, and this, and they're not on this, this, and this. So that's a starting point. But you guys know, social media is fluid. You have to change your strategy sometimes twice in one day. Like you have to figure out, there's like that line you have, that guideline, based on the client's goal, always. But during that time, it's gonna go like this. So the way I, I report to clients, you always wanna report positive. Like you don't wanna be like, oh, you went down 400% this week. I don't know why, we find out, right? So I think that no matter what you do, you can bring something on a positive light. So especially when you have multiple platforms you're working on, let's say you're using Google Analytics or you're using Sprout or Hootsuite or any other content management platform. All of them provide insights as do Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all these other sites have insights that you can read. So sometimes when I'm managing four or five platforms for a client, maybe Facebook drops like 300% in one area. Maybe like the likes went down, but the engagement went up. You know? So I'm gonna focus on that part of the response that I can keep them really engaged. Because this is how social media works, right? It's like, it's a constant up-down and you want the slope to be up in the end. 
So I think that experience gets you there, like years of doing it wrong and learning the hard way gets you there, but it's also how you frame it and the way that you communicate it to the client. Just to piggyback on something she said really quick too, um, half the time your clients don't know what you want. So it's, it's really, but that's the thing, and that's why she, what she was talking about, that active listening and really listening to them, and asking the right questions so that you can create those goals. Because half the time it's just like, I just want you to know social media, like just post stuff, you know? And then, you know, and it's, and like, no, you can't just post stuff. It's not like, oh, here's a picture of like, you know, my salami. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Social Media Week panel on community management with Daniela Veras, Michelle Dow, and myself from this year's SMW Miami event. You can find out more at hashtag SMW on Twitter or at SMW Miami uh, on Twitter as well. And we're going to play the rest of that at the 830 mark of this program. But we'll be back in just a few minutes with Maggie Fernandez to talk about the Miami Climate March live. This is the Only in Miami show. Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Maggie Fernandez, and she is here to talk to us about the Miami Climate March. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us on the program for this hour. Thank you for having me, Grant. So please tell our audience what's going on this Wednesday, October 14th, for the Miami Climate March. Well, it's the event to be at in Miami, and it's the People's Climate March. Um, last year um, in New York, over 400,000 people gathered to demand climate action from our state, local, and elected leaders. So this year, Miami will be hosting its own People's Climate March um, to demand climate action. And uh, we're going to be showcasing the public's concern about climate change and its impact to our city and to our uh, region and to the most vulnerable uh, citizens of our community. You mean people that live on Indian Creek? 
in Miami Beach. <laughs> no. Well, them too. You know, this affects all of us. This doesn't just affect um, one section of the county or it affects all of us in all types of communities. It affects um, frontline communities. Um, it affects um, it affects our, our water. It affects um, uh, sea level rise. We have the issues of salt water intrusion. Um, it affects homeowners um, because it, uh, sea level rise will affect our insurance rates. And um, we may see a time when we won't even be able to sell our homes. Well, wait a second. Are you saying that auto insurance rates might get better if there's nowhere to drive anymore and we all have to take kayaks? Well, you know, that means that we maybe need to, we may need to purchase some boats and get some uh, boaters insurance. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay. So it's a no-win situation. I get it. I get it. So when is the climate march going to be? Well, the what climate, time and the, where? Okay. The climate march is going to be on Wednesday. And we're gathering at Stephen P. Clark Government Center in downtown Miami at 5 p.m. And uh, we're, the march is set to leave at 6 p.m. to um, and head east to the Torch of Friendship on Biscayne Boulevard. Okay. So you're going to be right at Stephen P. Clark Government Center, which means you can take the metro rail to the Government Center station. Or if you're downtown, that's on Northwest First Street uh, in between... The southwest, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's, is it southwest or is it northwest? It is uh, northwest. It is northwest, between yes. northwest 1st and 2nd Avenues. Um, it's right across the street from the Miami-Dade County Public Library, if you've been there. And what time should everybody gather there on well, Wednesday? We're asking people to assemble at uh, 5 p.m. because we're going to be um, having some uh, performances and some speakers, and we're going to allow people who haven't yet uh, put to, uh created their own banners to do that at the site. Okay, so at 5 o'clock, you guys are going to be getting ready to go. And what time will the march proceed? The march will proceed at 6 p.m. We're going to begin with a roll call. So we do encourage organizations who are attending to go to the info table in order to give us the information about their organization so that we could name them in the roll call. So if you're finishing work on Wednesday, October 14th, at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., they will be staging for the Miami Climate March outside of Government Center. That's the Stephen P. Clark Government Center in downtown Miami. It's right there at the Government Center Metro Rail and Metro Mover Stop. And I highly encourage you, if you care about South Florida, if you care about a sustainable future, to go out and join the Miami Climate March. Maggie, tell our audience where they can find out more online about the Miami Climate March this Wednesday, October 14th. Well, they can go on Facebook and uh, search Miami People's Climate March. They could also use the hashtag Miami Climate March. All righty. One more time, where can they find out more on Facebook? Um, search People's Climate March, Miami's People's Climate March on Facebook and uh, hashtag Miami Climate March. All righty. We're going to take a really short break. We'll be right back with Maggie Fernandez discussing sustainability in South Florida. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern at everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Maggie Fernandez. She is a sustainability expert. And thank you for coming out to the studio on this lovely evening, Maggie. Thanks. I'm super pumped. So, Maggie, <laughs> please tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do professionally in this town. Well, I'm a, uh, I love Miami. Um, this is my passion. I say I'm married to Miami. I don't have any kids. I don't have any children. Like, no no boyfriend, no husband right now. I'm looking. <laughs> um, and, Good advertising for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll give you my number later. <laughs> so um, I love Miami, and I've always been passionate about my community. Um, so I, my business, I have a business, and it's called Sustainable Miami because um, um, I really believe sustainability is about quality of life. Like, what type of community do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a community with with uh, polluted air? with a lack of water resources, with um, bad jobs. That's part of sustainability, too. So, um, you know, so I'm, I'm really, uh, I, my, my background is government. So what I try to do is work with organizations who are trying to uh, work with government. I'm tr- I help them navigate through that because, as we know, it can oh, be it quite challenging. A maze. Yeah, it's definitely a maze when you try to work with government. So, so I mean, what else attracted you specifically to sustainability in Miami? Because it is a big topic along with climate change. Which we've yeah. Already. Uh, well, they're very much um, one and the same. Um, well, I was working for uh, the county manager and county mayor at the time back in 2009, and I kind of fell into sustainability. Um, the county was getting this large energy grant, it was $12.5 million, and uh, the mayor asked, uh, asked me to go manage it and to go implement it. Um, you know, you think it's easy to spend $12.5 million in government, but it's actually quite difficult. Uh, so, uh, you know... I was up for the task. I went to the Office of Sustainability, which was also being created at the same time and and elevated. And um, I quickly learned. I got my street creds. I became lead accredited. And I quickly learned about it. And I realized this is where it's at. This is what it's all about. Like sustainability um, is everything. It's about quality of life again. No, it is about quality of life. I think that's a big concern people have. In Miami, because for a long time, uh, Miamians kind of made do with fairly substandard uh, basic services. Um, you know, the airport was always under construction. The highways were always under construction and very, very inadequate. I mean, today there's a lot of traffic, uh, but at least you can kind of get around. I mean, there's been times where it's just kind of, uh, I, w- I don't want to say hopeless, but certainly ragged around the edges where... Um, you know, people were driving through large puddles on Biscayne Boulevard uh, for a very small rain and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's been some improvements, but improvements improvements aside, where does Miami go from here when it comes to creating more sustainable city dwellings and and a better quality of life? What do we have to do in Miami or Miami-Dade County today? Well, you know, there's three, uh, you know, sustainability is a very, not too many people know what the word means, but sustainability is all about balance. So, 
you know, you have economic factors of a community, you have social factors of a community, and then you have the environment. And when those three different components work together in unison, um, uh, that's when you create a sustainable community. And I think that we're doing uh, well in addressing certain components of, of that. Um, we're definitely excelling in the tech industry, and we're creating great jobs for, um, for our community through, th- through that realm. And so that's one leg of the stool. Right. That's one leg of the stool. But, you know, we're still working. We still have to provide better education. We still have um, most of our working class is is they they have uh, low paying jobs. And you're talking about the service industry jobs, the waiting tables, the, you know, working at the, the restaurants. Yeah, um, you know, exactly. Wages that are uh, above the minimum, but let's say under fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, well, our our yeah below minimum wage, even below minimum wage or at minimum wage. You know, our community, our our key economic drivers, tourism, and those are not high paying jobs. So we need to create um, better. Uh, better different economic engines for our our residents so, and so that we could keep our 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 talent and so that also we could attract talent so the third leg of the stool is the one that we spoke about at the top of the hour and it's the elephant in the room climate change right um how is this affecting residents of Miami and how how are we already working on it what do we need to do all right. So, I mean, we're, we just saw it the last two weeks, the flooding in Miami Beach. And there you have a city who is already acting and adapting to uh, the sea level rise issues that they're having um, through some pumps that they're installing. They're not finished with the project. And it's not a long-term solution. It's a, it's a short-term solution. But at a minimum, you have elected officials there who are showing leadership and courage by um, uh, spending dollars um, on those types of infrastructure investments that are going to um, help reduce um, the flooding that's occurring. Yeah, but how do we make it so that kayak.com isn't helping people get around Miami Beach instead of sleep overnight in Miami Beach? How, how, where do we go in Miami Beach? Is there any answer that's even been talked about that's reasonable yet? Well, they're they're installing the pumps. I know. The pumps are a short-term answer, like you said. But where do the real answers lie? Is there a bigger solution that's not being discussed out there? Well, it's, you know, the problems with our drainage system and our canal system. And a key uh, partner in that is the South Florida um, Water uh, Management District. Um, But they're seeing severe cuts right now. They just had their millage rate reduced even after the board had um, approved an increase. um, The The commission, the the Board of County Commissioners? No, no, this is the South... uh, the the South Water Management District, South Florida Water Management South Water Florida okay. Management District, and um, even after uh, that board had approved a millage increase, which is sorely needed in order. I mean, the staffing has been cut uh, dramatically over the last under Rick Scott's um, um, administration. So, uh, so uh, even this past year, when the the board approved a millage increase in order to start addressing some of these issues on a regional basis. Um, you know, the board was asked to revisit that vote, and um, they eventually reduced the millage rate. They did, yeah. So there's a lot of politics in play here. 
certainly there are. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to the top of the the government in Florida, as you'd mentioned, uh, Rick Scott is not very much in favor of dealing with climate change. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, he's clearly a denier. Uh, we know that because he um, has uh, effectively made um, FDEP, the Department um, of Environmental Protection, uh, he's gutted them. And uh, he hasn't allowed that. They haven't even been allowed to use the words climate change um, in any of their planning documents or any of their documents. Yeah, but isn't that a sound strategy to just pretend that it doesn't exist and hope it goes away? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> so he's doing it well. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I agree with you. The The governor really has a very clear plan here. Do nothing. Yeah. And and wait for something to happen. But 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 that something is happening. But that is already happening. And that's you know, that's that's one of my biggest frustrations when I hear elected officials say, oh, we still have time. Even this past budget hearing, um, as the commission was discussing uh, sea level rise and climate change, um, after the mayor had a, um, proposed and the board adopted $300,000 for for action, um, he even mentioned that, no, we still have time. And clearly we don't with what's happening in Miami Beach. And, you know, a lot of um, people may say, well, that's Miami Beach. That's not my home inside uh, in, in West Aid or in, you know, on the mainland. But Miami Beach is the highest profile city in the entire state, if not the entire country outside of New York and Los Angeles. Well, exactly. And they're a huge source of revenue to our governments through tourist development tax and uh, through countywide taxes. So um, we can't just ignore it because it's happening in Miami Beach. Well, wait a second. Let me amend that for you. We have been just ignoring it. Yeah. But now we're facing the consequences of ignorance because it's not bliss, but rather a very cold, salty bath. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. And, um, well, that's exactly why at the, during this budget cycle when, um, by chance— um, my friend David and I realized that climate sea level rise was only mentioned once in a, a three-volume budget, in a $6 billion budget. And uh, at the same time, some of my friends in the League of Women Voters were, were doing that that study. I'm on the League, too. Um, you know, and the climate change was not mentioned once. It, we found it—I found it crazy. So you're talking about the Miami-Dade County budget, right? Yes. So— for our listening audience, Miami-Dade County has a budget of $6 billion annually, right? Right. And then it's— and, and when you're talking about three volumes, describe what you're talking about with these three volumes. Um, think about a telephone book. So uh, three telephone books. Okay, for our audience that has never seen a telephone book, how tall would these <laughs> books stand? Oh, yeah. that I just dated myself, huh? <laughs> It's okay. We're on the radio. It's been around since, um, I don't know, dinosaurs were roaming the earth and they were sending out radio signals and, you know, the pterodactyls and the velociraptors. Velociraptors are very smart. They were listening to radio, too. Yeah. So I'm about to date myself again, but like the size of a dictionary? <laughs> Let's just call I, I, it a donkey choker and move on. So okay. it's it's a very, very comprehensive, extremely long document. And there's only one 
line. One mention of sea level rise. And might I add, it was for an unfunded um, budget item in the parks department because the parks uh, was looking for funding and it was like $175 million in order to uh, address sea level rise in coastal parks and in, in parks that would be affected by sea level rise. So we're talking about, say, Matheson Hammock Park? Sure. Matheson Hammock, well, Hallover. Hallover Beach. Hallover Beach. Um, we, in, But, you know, the thing is that... Those are just two county parks, but they both have large water frontages. Exactly, exactly. And the, the other thing is that, um, you know, sea level rise and climate change is going to affect our... Uh, in the mainland as well. Uh, we have low-lying areas in the northwest uh, side of Miami-Dade County. Um, so it's not... It, we shouldn't People just think, automatically oh, I don't assume, live near the water. This right. is not important to me. Right. And um, that's the absolutely wrong assumption to be making. Well... Let's talk about another issue that's associated with climate change that maybe people don't realize is a climate change problem, and, and that is our drinking water supply. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as the sea starts to rise, the salt water starts to intrude into our uh, drinking water. Um, for, and it's doing that underground, right? Right. For those of the for those of you that don't know, our drinking water comes from the Biscayne Aquifer, which is um, the limestone, the porous limestone under us. So as the water, the salt water starts to seep into our drinking water. Um, it's a major problem for us because we have a very limited water supply here in, in South Florida, actually in the world, and um, uh, we need to protect it as best as possible. But the, uh, the other problem with, with saltwater intrusion is that the saltwater then um, is the flooding. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to extended flooding. So when we do have floods, the sea level rise as it rises... Um, uh, extends the flooding. It doesn't allow it to flow back into our, our waterways. In other words, there's nowhere for the water to go right. once it builds up. Exactly. And for anybody that was in South Florida in 2005 and experienced Hurricane Wilma or Katrina, you could very well attest that there was significant flooding from both of those storms out west. Because, like you said, in the west side of the county... People don't think of that as waterfront, right? But I'll tell you, I've lived in Miami for a long, long time. And I like to think of Miami as a peninsula mm -hmm. because we actually are surrounded on three sides by water. People don't realize that the Everglades is water. Absolutely. In fact, Everglades means river of grass. Yes. Well, you know, Miami was built on a swamp. I mean, that's the reality. Uh, we should... Probably had never been here, but we are. And I'm so grateful for that because I love it. And, you know, I want to make sure that Miami is here uh, forever. Um, I want my my nieces and nephews and their kids to to experience the Miami I love. So um, while this is a very uh, it can be this advocacy work can be very depressing <laughs> <laughs> because of uh, what the science is telling us, um, you know, you got to keep your spirits up and you got to keep fighting for it because we're the United States of America and we are uh, 
an innovative country and we find solutions to very difficult problems and we always have since since uh, we became a country so um, I have no doubt that we will find the solutions um, and that we will adapt to climate change and sea level rise now the issue and the the, the moral issue in my opinion is a mitigation which is um, it's a local issue but it's more of a a state and federal and world issue. That's why those Paris talks, um, the Paris climate talks in in December are going to be very interesting. Well, I think it's very important for people to realize that climate change can only be changed itself at the ballot box. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize. People are like, well, you know, we elected these people. They're going to do something about it, right? Well, that's exactly. Mm, That's not what's happening. Not everywhere. Very few places. In Miami Beach, because it is so extraordinarily obvious that elected officials, before Mayor Philip Levine was elected, spent basically over a decade completely and totally ignoring the problem. Um. Only now are people focused on it. Yeah. But it's actually a problem that affects all of us. Miami Beach is just the canary in the coal mine. Yes. And and you know, I'm not I'm not a scientist. I can't sit here and argue the science. I just know that if I go to a doctor and I get three opinions that I'm sick, I'm gonna believe that doctor that I'm sick. So I believe the scientists. Well, um, you know what? I don't need to go to the doctor. <laughs> all I need to do is take my kayak and go kayaking <laughs> right. on A one A. Just south of the fountain blue. Right. Um, so, you know, like, I, I'm not, I think that not we're beyond, that. I think we're beyond the science. It's more like athletics at this point. Yeah, exactly. It is, yeah. We can get some really you great You know, it's great uh, for arms. water skiing. I think if, if people <laughs> really take up water skiing in South Florida, the climate change problem may be solved. Oh, my gosh. I'm such a horrible water skier. Thank, uh, please, let's solve this before it comes to that. But they're going to be thirsty afterwards. And at that point, there's going to be bigger problems. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> now with this water skiing. So, um, you know, uh, so I'm not a scientist. And I'm also not an engineer. So I can't give you the exact solutions to this problem. Um, we're going to need our professional engineers and 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 our, you know, the people who do this to come up with those solutions. Um, but what I can and what I do know is government and what I do know is politics. And what I keep stressing to um, all the groups that are now focused on this issue is that it's all about voting. It's if you want things to change, you have to educate yourselves and you have to go vote. That's right. Well, Maggie, tell our audience a little bit about a, th- a few of the civic institutions and groups that you're a part of. Because if somebody is out there listening and they want to get involved, they need to know where to go and who to contact to get involved. You mentioned the League of Women Voters. Yes. Um, So I'm a a board member. I actually just came from a board meeting of the League of Women Voters. But, um, you know, the League of Women Voters is a great place to start. Um, Even if you um, you don't even need to be a member to take advantage of all the different resources available. And, And I can tell you from experience, dudes are welcome. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just because we're women doesn't mean that men cannot uh, become members. Are you a member? No, I should be, though. I I was chatting with somebody from the LVW. I'm interested. 
okay. I vote. Okay, good. Well, we're going to make sure that after this that you become a member. Uh, what other institutions or groups or, or neighborhood activists, what, what other areas are you active in? What, you know, like Emerge Miami? Well, uh, you know, I attend some of the Emerge Miami um, meetings. I have I have attended in the past um, a, f- a few, a year ago or so, I actually attended um, to talk about Time to Rally, which was, a, it is, um, a plan that a group of us put together in order to have uh, people, organizations, engage in the county budget process, which doesn't begin when the mayor releases his budget. It begins back in January um, of every year when um, the departments start putting their budgets together. That's when the budget process begins. That's when you need to start um, inserting yourself at certain key points, attending committee meetings, and allowing your, uh, letting your elected officials know what your priorities are. And you're talking about going to County Hall, which is the government center. Yes. In downtown. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's, that's where we went, actually, during the budget hearings in order to demand climate action. After we realized that there was no funding in it, um, a, a group of us, uh, we, we, we got together and we, um, we demanded action. And we had very, three very specific demands. And, um, you know, I'm very uh, thankful to the commission and uh, and to the mayor for having uh, funded those demands and uh, and also acting quickly. In fact, uh, the chief resiliency officer of Miami-Dade County was created through this budget process. And on October fir- uh, the the fiscal year begins October first, and by October fifth, the mayor had already made an appointment to that position. So, so this is the first time that our county government is seeking to directly address climate change by appointing a climate czar, let's call them, the chief resiliency yes, officer? Yeah. Well, let me, let's backtrack. I mean, the county has, has um, as an organization, has been... Uh, has been working on climate issues since back in 1990 when Harvey Rubin um, signed on to ICLE, which is Local Governments for Sustainability. It's an international organization with 800 local communities for sustainability. So there has been advocate, advocates on the commission back since 1990. We had a CO2 reduction plan. Um, we've been studying this a long time. We've had many volunteer citizens participate in many different groups. But this is the first time it's we've got one responsible person in our county government, like at the highest level. It's it's not actually no. Um, no. Back in uh, two thousand nine, under Mayor Carlos uh, Carlos Alvarez, very popular um, mayor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, but he, you know, he he showed leadership, and in 2009, that's when um, he appointed me and and my supervisor, my boss, Susie Torriente, which, by the way, left to Fort Lauderdale has done amazing things in the city of Fort Lauderdale and now was just tapped by the city of Miami beach to be their chief resiliency officer. And she was appointed last month. Oh, okay. So, um, that's, uh, so in 2009, that's when, um, Susie and I went to the office, we created the office of sustainability and it was, she was a direct report to the mayor 
And we created the county's first sustainability plan, the county's first climate action plan, which incorporated many of the recommendations from the uh, Climate Change Advisory Task Force that Harvey Rubin chaired. Um, that was um, that. And Harvey is our clerk of courts for those who are keeping track at home. Uh, he has been our clerk of courts for a very long time. And prior to that, he was a county commissioner, and that's why he um, he was able to uh, begin. He's been a, a really like our 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 forefather of uh, climate change. So I think that he's excited to see uh, um, finally some. Uh, I believe he is. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him, but I believe he's excited <laughs> sure. to see. I mean, I could see at the during the budget hearings, you could see how how happy he was um, that there was this huge outpouring of of. Of people from the community uh, there to advocate for climate change. Well, we're hoping that there's another outpouring of people to advocate for climate change this Wednesday, right? Yes, please come out. It's going to be, by the way, it's going to be fun. Um, we're going to have like musicians and we're going to have, I don't know if you guys heard of Silent Revolution, but you know, you can rent your own headset and dance through the march to your own music. And we're going to have tons of banners and signage. So it's going to be a festive um, uh, uh, march. But And how I, many thousand people are expected at this Wednesday's march? You know, we began hoping to get 500, and we're about, uh, we anticipate getting 3,000. Okay, that's 3,000 anticipated marchers against climate change, but they're, they're seeking climate change solutions. They're asking our political elected officials to consider climate change in everything they do. Maggie, where can people find out more about the Miami Climate March? Okay, so you go on Facebook and you search Miami People's Climate March. Miami People's Climate March. You search that on Facebook. Or there's a hashtag on Twitter, right? Miami's Climate March. Miami Climate March. Right. Hashtag, hashtag Miami Climate March on Instagram or on Twitter. That's hashtag Miami Climate March. And it's coming up. This Wednesday, October 14th, at 5 to 6 p.m. At, at Government Center, they're staging it. And at 6 p.m., they are marching from Government Center to the the Friendship Torch. Right. Torch uh, of Friendship on Biscayne. Torch of Friendship on Biscayne Boulevard, right in front of Bayside. I encourage everybody in our audience to attend. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Where can our audience find out more from you on Twitter? Oh, I have a, a hashtag a sustainable mags, M-A-G-S. Sustainable M-A-G-S. It's Maggie Fernandez, and you can find her on Twitter at Sustainable Mags. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern at everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. That's www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back. We're going to take another few minutes here and play some of the panel that I was on at Social Media Week Miami. It's a panel about community management with Daniela Veras and with Michelle Dow of Social Swag Company. And it was actually moderated by Roxana Frontini. Uh, it's a great event. If you want to learn more about Social Media Week, check out socialmediaweek.org slash Miami. I highly recommend you check it out. It is Miami's premier social media conference. It is a week long. This year is actually three days because of the Jewish holidays, but next year will be a week long. And we're going to take a listen to another few minutes of the panel, and we're going to lead out the show from there. But next week, you got to tune in. We're going to have Burger Beast live in the studio, and we are giving away five tickets to one lucky caller. There will be a trivia question involved, but one lucky caller is going to win five tickets to Sugar Pie, the Burger Beast Feast that's coming up, I believe, next month. But you're going to find out more about that online. You can check it out at burgerbeast.com, and we will have Seth Gonzalez himself in the studio. We're going to have a great time with that. So I will talk to you next week, but let's listen to Social Media Week Miami. Communities. Um, and I'm also involved in this movement. It's called the Walmart in Midtown. And that's what I wanted to, you know, you said you don't have to be on every platform. Well, trust me, I'm on every platform for a lot of things. But I've been fighting Walmart in this neighborhood, six blocks away from here, for three and a half years. And even though I'm on every platform with everything else, we don't even have a Twitter account. We just have a hashtag. We just went with the hashtag and said, you know what? Hashtag's good enough for this. I mean, here we are three and a half years later. We have a change.org petition and a domain pointed out. Um, if you're doing community management, don't be afraid to buy a web domain and just use forwarding. And just forwarded it something. Well, I don't have a website, but I'm going to buy, you know, uh, sundaysoccer.com and forward it at twitter.com slash soccer sunday. And then you have a domain now. So you don't have to be on everything. Um, you just have to be on the right platforms. And like they were saying, you have to figure out what your goals are and then use a platform that will help you move towards those goals. Yeah. I've actually, sorry. Oh, I've discovered that generally it takes me around three months with each client to really feel like I'm agreeing in their vision and voice. That's kind of the time frame where I'm like, okay, now I'm actually listening. I've thrown some bait out to the community. I see the right community is responding to this. And, you know, like, it takes time, which is one thing that the brand owners never know. They expect you to show up and within a couple days have it all figured out and make them more money. So, like she said, like there was one meeting I had with, I think it was like something big. Maybe it was an American Express meeting back when I was in the agency world. And I was listening, we were all there, we were all like huge, like when you go with a couple agents, you 10 people doing a presentation, we're so important. And I'm like watching these people who are sitting there from, I think it was American Express, and they're saying what they want. But then I watched one of the girls who's taking notes, right on her notepad, we had, one of the things we did was um, sports, like somehow, and it had nothing to do with what they wanted, but she wrote it in huge letters and circled it. So when it was my turn, I got up and I just threw everything out except for what that girl circled. And 
and I spent the whole time on it, and that's what we ended up getting the client for. So it's really paying attention to the nonverbals as well. And the same thing goes, if you already have a boss, like, the same thing goes for them. Like, you need to kind of listen to the positives, even if you've been working with them for five years. There's something that they're not saying that you're gonna figure out just from that relationship, even if it's two hours in. Can I, can I ask a question? Who here is here because they want, uh, because of a job situation? Like, they, they have a community management job. Who's an independent person that's working on social, like independent, doing community manager for hire? Any personal brands? People building their personal brands? Not personal, but corporate brands. And people that are building brands themselves, like for their own purposes, like like. Okay, cool. So it's a mix. Yeah, it's a mix. And I would say, I would add, you know, listen to the category. Because the category will tell you how the community uh, already moves, how it behaves around restaurant or whatever it is. It could be uh, advocacy, whatever. Yeah. Just to really pay attention to, to, to really listen. I mean, when we say, you know, when we get hired, we also spend quite a long time doing the listening. And the clients are like, but I gave you the account. I gave you the account a month ago. And we're like, yeah, and we're doing the listening. And we're building a strategy that would connect your expectations as a business with the expectations of a community that would end up being your your customer or your client. Um, we have a question. Yes. yes. I, I look for social media Instagram. I have very good pictures. And when you said uh, that the client maybe is like, just post, look whatever. How do you get them to buy that really good picture and buy the service of getting there in every position? Content. Quality of the content. You're saying um, how to get really good pictures, how to get the client to buy into getting really good pictures of. Yes. That buy, that, that uh, buy then saying, just post. The client that's saying, just post. They don't, or, I guess I'm trying to understand your question. You're buying you spend money. To spend money on getting professional pictures on creative? Okay, it, it definitely depends on, um, for me, if it's a highly visual brand like food is, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to spend money on that. You have to get professional pictures, especially for your website. I would, you know what? I, what I would do is that I would do I would give them a competitive analysis of other people in the same industry mm -hmm. they're competing with, That's and showing them I'm like, this is what they're doing, and this is what you look like. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> I actually did this um, the same exercise with um, Spanish broadcast. I was working with Spanish broadcasting system. Um, I managed. Um, 20 other different radio accounts all over. That's exactly what I did. I said, this, do you see this? This is what you should be looking like. This is what you look like. And when they see that, and they see what their competition yeah. is doing, you know, it's gonna awaken that competitiveness in them. You know, and that, that's one strategy um, on how I would get them to buy into something more high-end like that. You mentioned that you work for, uh, you work with Samsung? Yes. Um, I have a question. I managed Latin America for the, for the brand for Latin America in Latin America. And I'm trying to figure out whether I should hire, like, you have a community manager of five countries. Is that how you, how Samsung does? Or does it, you, is it managed out of Miami? Or is it just one community manager? Or do you have a community manager? Oh, it's not really just one. Well, I'm sure that be here. From, from a PR standpoint, I have, um, I've worked with different agencies in each country to inform the language and 
the, the vernacular. Because each country in Latin America especially has their own ways of, yeah. of expressing themselves. Um, I actually managed Latin for Samsung also. That, so, that was my question. Yeah, yeah, I did. So, for instance, the way they speak in Argentina is different than the way they speak in, you know, in Cuba. I also did the Caribbean. So the way that they use their English and the different, you know, slang, it, you have to kind of, depending on the brand and if it's a fun brand, you know, you kind of want to incorporate a little bit of that, you know, that slang. So personally, I would, I would get some of the general content done like in-house, pass it through our, like the brand, and then have it get a little tweaked by my local agencies. So it still has the same messaging, but with the, with the local flavor. Yeah, and it, 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 you maintain the strategy. Mm -hmm. right. And maintain the voice and the message. Yeah. Because especially when you're working with these larger corporate brands, that voice and the message is super important. They're so particular about that. So that, that would be the way that I would. Okay. That brings up a very good point, and it's about um, it's yes. <laughs> team building. The team that you have behind each brand. And you know how important it is to build a strategy when you're managing a community. Because when you have several people managing, you know, one single brand throughout the region, it could be just just a team within an agency. You do need a strategy. And, and let me speak about that briefly. Um, <clears throat> you have to be able to manage a group of people to complete a task. So what do you use to manage that? I want hands. What do you use to to complete a group task anyway? Your task. Trello. Trello. Basecamp. Basecamp. Trello. Uh, any others? Slack. Slack. I love Slack. Yeah. Anybody here using Facebook groups? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. I tried Facebook groups. Well, there's there's a Facebook groups app which is super useful as these two ladies can attest. Um, the thing is, it's about the size of the group. A group of like 5,000 people. A lot of people are probably turning off the notifications. But some of the things that we've accomplished with groups under 100 people with very, very well-written group statements would absolutely astonish you. Um, whether it's putting on a conference or you know figuring out what the news is on a national basis or whatever the heck it is. That's how we do a lot of, of our work at photographiesnotcrime.com. That's how we did this. Yeah, of course, of course. And what we do is we have a main group with about 90 to 100 people, never more than 100, that are feeding in what we're, you know, what's going on. Right? And then we have a few subgroups that are regional, so if something's happening that's maybe not nationally important, they can talk about it in there. And that's how we manage the managers through Facebook groups. I will say, the Social Media Club of Southern Florida uses Facebook groups for our communication. But there's only 15 people in it, so it's very manageable. I think for more, too many, you're right, for too many people that could be really mm -hmm. Well, that, that particular group you mentioned has a 5,000-person public group. The, the larger group, but yeah, the board has its own small, mm -hmm. like, yeah. Sure. It when does we, still get a little drowned out, though, I will say. Yeah. But they have to tag us for it not to. So, I mean, there's a balance. Personally, we tried, um, someone starts with an A, I don't even remember. Asana. Asana. We did Basecamp, <clears> and we were going to do Slack, and we were like, Where, why don't we just do Facebook? And that ended up being the easiest, because it's like not one other platform we have to deal mm -hmm. with. Right. Um, but I mean, there are other platforms that are useful for that kind of thing, but for communication, for just general purpose, everybody seeing the task and being able yeah. to give input. And it's, it's a very interesting thing, because then you're building a community that you're also managing, but it's yeah. like your inner community. Um, so you had a question. Uh, yeah, um, so 
So when you're trying to manage a client's and it tends to be something that you don't specialize in yourself. For example, I have one customer that's a, that's a chemical company. I don't really know chemicals. Um, do you recommend having the customer kind of produce a lot of their own content? Do you recommend learning as much as you can about them and then producing content for them? Because I don't think I could ever get as much experience and knowledge as they If you want to, a good start is insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to learn. You have to what, I, what I did learn. a little—I mean, working with Samsung, I don't know a lot of like the technical aspects of it, and there's there's no way I was going to learn everything. So whenever I was producing content, um, I would be provided with information. I would then make it sexy and then send it back to them to make sure, just for to make sure that I didn't, I didn't speak out of turn or write something wrong. I mean, you can't be expected to know everything about everything. You know, especially when something is so obscure, like a chemical field or something like that. So I, that's what I would do. I would have them provide me with information. Having a content calendar, an editorial calendar, would help you tremendously because then you know what you're going to talk about and what type of information you need ahead of time and you can prepare. Well, wait, let me jump in. After the insomnia, well, maybe before the insomnia, but this is what you really need to figure out because chemicals, they're great. But what does that have to do with social media? You have to figure out what is the goal of building a community around what they want to talk about? What is their end game? What do they want out of it? Is it to, to speak with consumers? To speak with other people that are in the business? Is it to speak with other people that are interested in science casually or seriously or find job applicants? What yeah. is it they want to do? That's a very good point. And you know, to, to give you an example, we manage at the agency uh, a brand that carries 15 brands of appliances, luxury appliances. I mean, I do love appliances because I love cooking, but that's about it. So we had to, yes, we had to study. We had to study the, the 15 brands, you know, enough as to know how to build a grid, a content grid. So we developed an editorial line with, a, with the client, and then we developed grids. Most of the time, for months ahead of time, for the quarter. And we make sure, I'm sorry, we make sure that we speak, you know, we say what we have to say about, about each product, and here's the other challenge. This is a business-to-business -business community. So we have to manage client expectations in terms of uh, reach. You're not going to have tremendous reach, but you do, uh, you will have engagement with your distributors in the Pan American region. So that's how we do it. Basically, planning ahead of time, we will validate the client, the content with the client, because he knows. I mean, they know. They're the experts. We are the experts on making it sexy and polishing and disseminating and everything. I actually. Actually, not really the kind of disagree with everyone. <laughs> but that being said, what they're saying is absolutely right. Um, so I've had a cosmetic surgery office as a client. I've had a urinal mat company as a client. So I don't know anything about either, like at all. But when I went into it, I was like, I don't even know a urinal mat to work. I was like, what is this? It's something like antimicrobial that like takes away the smell that I didn't even know existed in urinals. So. It's what keeps football games <laughs> Right. So what I've learned, and um, 
this is the whole thing about storytelling. And what you said earlier was an amazing question that we need to start talking about, which is how to get communities engaged. Okay? So this is a segue to that conversation, which is saying we all want the same things in life, which is intrinsic happiness. So some things that make us happy are sexy, right? Some things that make us happy are things that help us tell a story about somebody else, right? Or make us feel better about ourselves or what we're doing. Like, there's always a story that somehow parallels to that. And there's other techniques. You can make somebody angry and get a response, right? You can make somebody sad and get a response. But in order to really support a brand, in my personal experience, and that's why I do cause marketing, is if you evict a human emotion that parallels to intrinsic happiness in some way, no matter what they do, if I can do it with a urinal mat company, it can be done with anything. But it comes from number one, insight rating. So I do, I do, I do reportings on a quarterly basis where I give them, you know, the outline. At the end of the day, it's really important to make them feel like they're in control, even when they're not. So I say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do, and I do really vague outlines where, like, let's do this this month. With same thing about this topic, right? The art of community management. It can literally mean anything that has to do with being an online manager, right? So it's kind of like in that form. And then each week, um, I do an approval process that's just basically keeping them updated on what we're going to do and where we're going to go. And if there's a team, it's that strategy that, that flows down through the funnel. But at the end of the day, it's always with the goal of telling a story and not talking about the chemicals. But I don't know, do any of you guys know what, who Simon Sinek is? He's known yes. as Ted Talks. So that's kind of the mentality I have, which is at the end of the day, any client's going to talk about the how, which is this outer circle. The next circle is the what. How do we get to the how? How do we get to the end product, the chemical, the whatever, cosmetic surgery? The inside circle is the why. Why did that person care about chemicals in the first place, right? There's some story there that will equal that intrinsic happiness that some other person can relate to. So people don't really care about whatever it is as much as they care about how it makes them feel. So that's kind of my Something to think about, like for your target audience, you have to engage them by saying, "Well, what's in it for me?" 